Warning, the following podcast has been classified as insanely lucrative. Listener discretion is advised. Once you build a relation with that manufacturer, and, and that's the key word is a relationship because they determine whether or not they are going to allow you to piggyback on their license. Your attention, please. please. Listening to the AMPM podcast may cause recurring revenue streams and unfair, unfair advantages over your competitors. Other side effects may include better wallets, fired bosses, and longer vacations. Listen at your own risk. Here's your host, seven-figure entrepreneur and online marketing madman, Manny Coates. Manny Coates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AMPM podcast. My name is Manny Coates, and I will be your host. And this is the show where we talk about Amazon private label via FBA and how to generate recurring revenue streams 24 hours per day during the AM and the PM, hence the name of the show, AMPM podcast. As a matter of fact, I'm about to start my weekend here. It's Halloween weekend and I'm getting excited. I love Halloween, gotta get dressed up, go hang out with some friends, my girl, have some good times. But while I am thinking about that, I'm not even doing anything, I'm just thinking about it, I am making money. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. So guys, I have a treat for you today. I am interviewing the largest seller in terms of total sales that I've ever interviewed before. Okay, I've interviewed plenty of six-figure guys, even seven-figure guys, but I've never interviewed an eight-figure-per-year Amazon seller. So we're gonna be talking to Mike Ward. I actually met him um, at a conference. It was actually after the conference. We were having some cocktails, all hanging out, and uh, Mike was talking about his, uh, his story, how he got started, and I asked him if he'd come on the show, and uh, here we are. He's on the show. The guy is super awesome. He uh, spilled so much information, gave so much during the podcast. I hope you guys learned something. Um, and I think it's it's very interesting to hear the perspective of somebody who um, is at the level that he's at, right? I mean, I am doing six figures per month or seven figures per year, but to talk about somebody who hits eight figures, right? The $10 million mark, or to go beyond that, to, to uh, go from 10 million one year and double that to 20 million dollars the next year is just crazy it's mind-boggling and i love talking to guys like that uh hearing what their mindset is and what they're doing and it's a it's a different approach than um than what we're used to doing when we're on a uh you know when we're trying to do two thousand dollars a month so without further ado let's jump into the interview hope you enjoy Hello, everybody. I am here with Michael Ward. Michael is the founder and owner of Best Costume and Toy Deals, and he's been in this industry since 1998, really long time. Um, He started back with eBay in 1998 and added Amazon in 2011. Michael focuses on current and hot licensed properties where the demand for these types of products is very high. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Glad to be here. So I've got a lot of questions. Um, You said you started back in 1998, uh, but got into Amazon in 2011. Uh, When you jumped onto Amazon, uh, were you doing Merchant Fulfilled? I started Merchant Fulfilled. I was in the eBay business for, what, 13 years, and that's all I understood. And FBA to me was a complete uh, foreign object. I had no idea what it was. Now, if somebody were to join uh, Amazon and want to sell, would you say to uh, get some experience doing uh, Merchant Fulfilled, or would you say, you know, run away and go directly to FBA? 
Well, in, in today's market, you need to understand how everything works. And, you know, FBA is definitely the way to go. But to understand FBA, you should fill, mer- you know, your own merchant stuff for a while or at least understand how the process works so you're not completely blinded by what happens at Amazon. Right. Okay. So let's get some basics out of the way. Do you remember what your first year sales numbers were once you went to FBA? My When I first went to FBA, we were very cautious and we only sent maybe 10 or 15% of our products in there because I didn't know what to expect. And I, I can tell you that, um, you know, our sales numbers and, and back then, you know, we were only doing probably three, 400,000 a year because we had just come out of the uh, the 2008 to 2011 depression era. And when we did send those 10 to 15% uh, items to FBA, our numbers doubled from let's say 400, it was about 800. And that's when I realized, I said, okay, there's something here I really need to look at. Yeah, yeah, 300,000 and now 800,000. Those are some pretty big numbers for most people. What were last year's numbers and where do you expect to be this year? So last year, in total, we ended up at 11.3 million for the year. Uh, currently, we're on pace. We'll probably just hit under 20 million this year. Dang! <laughs> Those are some big numbers. <laughs> they are. That's a lot of zeros, Mike. They are, but they're <laughs> lovely to look at. <laughs> for sure. So um, how many SKUs make up that kind of a number? During the year, we probably carry about 3,000 SKUs um, during the fourth quarter. Now, our season is, is a little longer because we have Halloween, September, October, and then Christmas, November, December. So 3,000 January through August, and then during the fourth quarter, that probably doubles to somewhere close to 6,000. Oh, wow. Okay, so you're adding and then you pull stuff after the holidays? Is that what you Correct, because there's a lot of stuff that is strictly a fourth quarter sale. Right. You know, uh, Barbie dream houses, for example, nobody wants them the rest of the year. Those are those are things that grandma buys for the grandkid and is willing to pay 150 bucks. So you said Halloween stuff. Um, tell us what what are you selling specifically? Is it just Halloween, or you do other things as well? It's pretty much. I mean, right now it's pretty much toys and costumes is what we do. Uh, we, we've stayed in toys and costumes, and that's what we do best. We do add items all the time. Um, I go to trade shows, and if I'm at a trade show and I happen to see a hot item that, that's going to sell on Amazon, uh, I could tell you an example. We, we were at the ASD show, and a guy pulled me in his booth and you know wanted to show me some stuff, and he was selling uh, Apple computer cases. And I was like, I'm not in the computer industry, and he says, it doesn't matter. You know, Take a look. And I used my Amazon app, scanned it, looked at the price, asked how much it was. Didn't take too, too long to figure out this was a profit center, and I bought them. You know, we, we add products that are profitable, right. uh, but 90% of our stuff is Halloween and Christmas. So toys, obviously, for, for Christmas, and then the costumes and the Halloween props for September and October. Okay. So the majority of your sales, then, it's safe to assume all come in Q4? Like, what percentage would you say comes Q4? 80%. Wow. Wow. Those are some big days. So, I mean, what's yeah. an average, I mean, starting October 1st, what would be like an average sales volume on a, on a particular day? And what's, so, your, what's your highest number as well? I'm curious for both. Okay. So last year, my highest single day number was I just broke 200,000 in one day. Wow. Okay. Um, and, and so th- that was, and I was excited to do that. We only did it one day. It was great. I was, and the, you know, of course you always move the goal line. So I said to myself, I said, if I could do 200,000, in one day last year, I said, let me see if I can do it, you know, out of a 30 day month in October, 31 days, you know, can I do it five to 10 of those days now? So 
on average, the first part of October, you know, we're between 100 and 125,000 a day. Right now, being that we're, you know, 10 days away from Halloween, you know, the last was so one last. So today will be the fourth day in a row that we've broken 200,000. Uh, yesterday, we did 219,000. Wow, that's crazy. So what's your hottest selling costume right now? What's number one? Right now, there, there's two. For, for the little boys, it's a, a license called PJ Masks. And for the girls, it's the Elena of Avalar Disney Princess. So those would be the two hot skews right now that, you know, people are, are going for and willing to pay almost anything. Wow. Do you normally sell out of those uh, when you got these hot tickets? It's unique the way I do things. And, and to answer your question, no, we don't sell out. And the reason is, is I have a very good relationship with our manufacturers. And as soon as I find out something is hot and it's really hot, I go to the manufacturers and I tell them that I want more. And the first thing they always tell me is there is no more. And I said, great, let's make more. And I airship the product in. So I can tell you uh, today's Wednesday. So the day before yesterday on Monday, uh, the little Princess Elena had a first-class ticket from China here to the U.S. She left China on Friday, landed here on Monday, and we literally airshipped three pallets of that particular costume. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was expensive, huh? But you had to get it out here. But here's the thing. If a costume, let's say, costs you $15 and you retail at $29.99 and you're happy to double your money and you have to pay now 15 for the costume, but you got to pay, let's say, 5 bucks to ship it in, you're in the costume $20. If it's selling for $59.99 online, is it really costing you anything? Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So your margins are there. I mean, you, you're calculating obviously everything, refunds and promotions and Amazon's fees, and you still have, I mean, what would be a typical uh, margin on costumes? Year round, what we try and, and hold is about a 20% margin after all the Amazon fees, refunds and stuff like that. Now that does not count my warehouse operating expenses. But that number jumps uh, fourth quarter. So from October, November, December, uh, we run into about, after everything's done and said, between 35 and 40% margin. So with eight figures per year in sales, um, are you the largest Halloween product seller on Amazon? Do you know? I, I don't know if I'm the largest. I, I do know that there's a handful of us out there that, that uh, are large sellers. You know, of course, not everybody shares their numbers. Uh, I know of one particular guy who I know for a fact is larger than me. Um, and I know a couple guys that are, that are not quite as large as me. So I, I would say I'm in the top 10. I wouldn't necessarily say I am the largest. Wow. Your December checks that come from Amazon, your deposits have to be insane. You got to be just loving those months. Oh, the, you know, when, when, when you get a deposit at $1.5 million, in your bank account, yeah, yeah, it's it's nice. It's that's crazy. How uh, how many uh, SKUs would you say you're adding new SKUs every single year, or is it, or is it, do you have a lot of just essentially the same costumes that are just selling over and over? Well, you have your licenses that sell year after year. You know, your your Disney princesses, your Mickey Mouse's. That stuff is just you know it's evergreen. It's going to sell. Hmm. What changes is the stuff that comes and goes. Um, I can tell you, you know, three. I think it was three years ago. You know, Frozen was the hottest thing on the earth, and it still sells today, but nowhere close to what it sold a couple of years ago. Um, the year before that, Teen Beach Movie was hot, you know, um, and that stuff you really, nobody wants today. So what happens is, is, is you have your evergreen products that sell year-round and, and will always sell and have been selling for years, and then you have your hot properties that come and go. <clears throat> and those are the ones that are kind of like a hot potato. You don't want to be the one holding the potato when it cools off. Right. 
So you got to make sure you get in and get out and, and just be careful of, of what exactly it is you're getting into. So what percentage of your products would you say require you to license them? We carry a, a huge percentage of license. I'm going to say our licensed products are 80 to 85%. Okay. I've always been curious about that. Uh, I mean, how does somebody go about licensing a product to sell? Because I've noticed that there's just so many people out there that'll sell, for example, uh, a Disney branded product without getting the rights, or there'll be shirts with Marvel heroes on it um, where they don't have the rights. What do they need to do to actually get legal rights to do this and not risk you know, their accounts getting suspended? Well, you have to go directly to whoever is a license holder. And in today's day and age, you know, Disney pretty much owns it all. They own Marvel, they own Star Wars, they own Princesses, they own all, you know, they own Pixar, they own everything. So if you look at most of the hot stuff, you're going to go to Disney. The one thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you're always on Disney's good side. You want to make sure that even though you disagree with their rules and you disagree with what they say, you always say, thank you, can I have another? Hmm. Because these are the guys that are going to determine whether or not you can or cannot sell their products. Mm -hmm. Um, if you go, a lot of times we will piggyback off of other manufacturers' licenses and they will already have licensing in place and then they basically, we buy the products, manufacture them, piggyback off their license and they get a cut of the pie for doing so. Okay. Would you say that's how you do the majority of yours or do you deal directly with, with Disney? Most of the stuff we do, we, we, we use third parties and, and the reason is is because you know Disney is so large and they don't talk to just about anybody you have to be you know a, a big enough account for them to talk to we actually are very lucky in that we have such a good relationship with our manufacturers and with disney and stuff that you know we do have the availability of, of directly importing disney products um and you know selling them on the retail market and we are authorized to do so so we were authorized directly and and through the third parties um it's a dangerous game when you you know to play the the non-licensing game and there you know people can make money in it but understand you know once you get caught and once you're branded as quote a counterfeiter that doesn't go away and the majority of the counterfeits that i've seen are coming from china you said that you had expressed aired uh, some pallets from china so are you dealing with a manufacturer in china that has the licenses here in the us or is that a separate thing no. So what happens is, is there are approved manufacturers in China. Uh, these manufacturers are, you know, Disney has gone in and they, they know what they're doing and they watch them. And, you know, we are required to have the licensing agreement here and they are required to have the approval from Disney to manufacture the product. So there's kind of a dual part to it. And, uh, you know, they manufacture the product and, you know, all they have to do is be caught once, you know, backdooring merchandise and they will lose every order Disney ever placed with them. Yeah, it's not worth it. How do how does somebody like that, how does a factory actually extend their license to you? Is it a simple document that you sign or is it uh, much more involved? Um, it really, you have to do the paperwork here and then you prove to them that you have the license and then they will produce the product for you. You're, you're proving to uh, the factory or to Disney? No, you, you have to get licensing approval here in the US and then you have to, Go, when you go to the factory, you have to show them that you have the authority to manufacture that product. Okay. All right. So you still have to deal with Disney. You can't just piggyback off of a, a manufacturer without getting initial approval from Disney? Right. But those manufacturers will do most of that for you because they've already got the agreements in place. 
Okay. So in those cases, do you still have to go to Disney or can you 100% rely on the manufacturer? No, you can 100% rely on the manufacturer. So what's that process look like? You go to them and say, man, I, I want these new costumes. You're selling them. How simple is it to actually get the approval so you can start selling it and have everything you need? Well, so there, there's two ways of doing it. You know, you go to the manufacturer and you say, you guys have the license for this costume and I want to resell it. And, you know, if you buy directly from the manufacturer here in the U.S., which the, the domestic purchase, then, you know, you, you are authorized to sell it as long as that manufacturer is willing to sell to you. Um, you're paying a higher price for the product because you're paying, you know, them to warehouse it, store it, ship it, you know, all that good stuff. If you, once you build a relation with that manufacturer, and, and that's the key word is a relationship because they determine whether or not they are going to allow you to piggyback on their license. Um, so, you know, when you do that, then you go to them and say, hey, you know, we've been doing business for X amount of years. I'm interested in direct importing and manufacturing my own stuff, you know, and then they will lead you down the path and say, okay, yeah, we think it's a good fit and, and we're willing to do it. Or they may say, you know, we'll start off small. It's up to each manufacturer how do they want to proceed with you. Some of them are very open to allowing you to piggyback on their license and others are very closed and they're like, no, no, we want, we want our two cents. So you have to buy directly through us. I've seen a ton of uh, companies that say, like on Alibaba, that say they have the rights to sell this kind of merchandise, and and I can tell clearly they don't. But how do you verify? How do you know for a fact that you you're dealing with somebody that can actually sell you this stuff uh, legally? Uh, the only way to know is you have to go through the manufacturer that has the actual licensing, and there are you know, it, it's easy to know the big guys. You know, you have Hasbro, Mattel. Jack Specific Disguise, Rubies, those guys are all, you know, if they've got, if they're producing the product, they're licensed. They're not going to risk their accounts, you know, for non-licensed product. If it's a smaller company, you know, you, you can ask to see their licensing agreement. Um, but for the most part, you're going to know offhand whether or not they have the license just based upon the market. If you go on Amazon and you type in, let's say, a a UPC and a product comes up and it says this thing is manufactured by XYZ company, chances are that's the who holds the license for that product. So you would go to a manufacturer first and ask them which suppliers in China actually can legally manufacture? Is that the process? Right. They will tell you who to, who will manufacture the product for you. Okay. So, you know, you go, I, I want a product and I go to the manufacturer here in the U.S. and I say I'm interested in, you know, having it manufactured in China. And they will tell you who is authorized to buy from, and that that's it. You either use the people they tell you to use, or you don't do it. Yeah. Oh, that's an awesome nugget right there. That's great. When you're dealing with these uh, licensed factories in China, um, are the MOQs, the minimum order uh, quantities, are they huge? Do you have to have a certain level of volume before they'll even talk to you? Most of them do have the, the MOQs, and it depends on the particular item, how busy they are, and how hot the license is. Obviously, a license that's hot, they're going to raise the MOQs. Um, you know, if, if they're not busy and the license isn't doing that great, you know, they'll work with you. But for the most part, you know, if, if you're not willing to spend at minimum $100,000 on an import order, most of them aren't going to talk to you. Okay. But most of them are going to want you to buy a container with a product. Okay, hundred grand. Okay, so this is not for the, uh, the very beginners unless they, uh, unless they have some kind of a bankroll. 
Right. I, unless you just happen to have a somebody who's giving you a million dollar line of credit or an uncle who's rich, you know, this is not the way to start. And that's why the way you start is you go to the, the U.S. manufacturers and you buy from them and, and you slowly build up a relationship and you sl- slowly build your business to the point where everyone feels comfortable and you feel comfortable because Keep in mind, unlike here in the U.S., you can buy from a manufacturer here in the U.S., and some of them may or may not offer you terms. Um, when you import out of China, there is no such thing as terms. It's cash up front. So, you know, if, if you don't have the money in the bank to, to wire transfer to them to pay for it, they're not going to talk to you. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey guys, Manny Coates here. If you've been following my podcast, you know I'm a huge fan of the Helium 10 tools for Amazon sellers. I only use the best tools out there and the Helium 10 suite of tools are in my opinion, best in class. Now, just because I'm the founder of Helium 10 doesn't mean that's all I use, right? I go where the money's at and if there's a tool on the market that I haven't made and that tool helps me make money, I'll use it and I'll talk about it here on the podcast and I'll even link to it in our tools section at the ampmpodcast.com website. But I can honestly say that there's no place that I know of where you can get all the important tools that an FBA seller would need in one place, where the tools work with one another to help you save time and make you a lot of money. Now, the Helium 10 tools have had a huge hand in helping me go from zero to over a million dollars in Amazon sales in just 10 months. Okay, keyword research, listing optimization, and a super tool called 5K Checker that makes sure that the words in my listings, okay, the front end and the back end, are actually indexed by Amazon. And guys, if you're not checking this, you're leaving money on the table for sure because Amazon is always tweaking their search engine. Okay, so I always use 5K Checker every single month on every single one of my listings to ensure that my listings are still indexed for my keywords and that I'm still pulling in customers like crazy. If you're a longtime listener, you know I'll never use a tool unless it can save me a lot of time or it's going to make me a lot of money. So I'm confident Helium 10 will do this for you guys. All right. There's a money back guarantee, so there's no risk. Check it out. Head over to Helium10.com. Helium10.com. That's H-E-L-I-U-M 10.com. Do you have uh, any private label products that only you sell that other people can't jump on and source and sell as well? We have started to do a few private label products. That is actually a new segment for us. We, uh, we, this year we did the Donald Trump mask with the wig. So we took a, a, a mask and we added the wig. So we're selling the Donald Trump mask with wig on Amazon. And it's actually doing very well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You would think so. It's, it's crazy right now. So, um, is that going better than you expected or about where you expected? It's doing a little better than I expected. I wasn't, you know, not sure about the private label market, you know, and, and, and trying to find out how do you get it out there? How do you get people to know about it? And you just basically, what we did on this particular product was we went to Amazon and did a lightning deal. Um, when we did the lightning deal, obviously we got a ton of sales volume all in one day which boosted the rankings. And then once we had the rankings, then it just was a natural sell through. You were able to get a lightning deal without having any sales history on the product? We had the product up there for, I believe it was around six weeks. So we did have a little bit of sales history on it. It was doing good. It wasn't doing great. Um, But once we got the lightning deal in there, uh, then it was just from there, it was all that, you know, it was just selling. There was, you know, Okay. How many manufacturers are you dealing with currently? Uh, we probably have, you know, there's probably about 10 that we deal with on a, on a daily basis on a huge level. Uh, and then maybe there's another, you know, 20 that we deal with moderately. 
and then I probably have another 20 that we buy here and there, nothing serious. Uh, one of the things I, I've kind of gotten to, though, and we, we've learned this year is, is due, strictly due to the volume and the amount of products we move and all that, if most of the manufacturers that we don't do at least 100000 a year with, we are no longer going to be able to deal with because we need to stick with the ones that we can make the money on. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. How early do you have to get your orders in for, for Halloween or and for Christmas? Um, well, Halloween, we're, we are ordering in January and February. So wow. by, you know, our Halloween show is, you know, we, we have a Halloween show in January, late January, mm-hmm. and Toy Fair is in February. And that's when, you know, we're putting our orders in for Christmas. Generally, our Halloween orders are done by the end of February with the exception of any last-minute licensing. You know, like Donald Trump wig, you know, nobody knew in January that that was going to be a hot property mm-hmm. uh, until late in the year. You know, there's a lot of times where we don't know what's going to be hot until August. And then it becomes kind of like the chase where you hope you can still get the product. If it's hot enough, and that, that's when you, you can go and say, okay, this is selling for enough money that I'm willing to do a rush order or pay the air shipping. If it's not hot enough or if a lot of stuff is sold out, then you just miss the boat. Yeah, well, so not like nine months in advance, is there a reason to go that early? It's what the manufacturers require okay. because they're, they need to manufacture the product. And you know, unlike you where you're carrying you know, X amount of SKUs, they may have you know, 10,000, 20,000 SKUs they're producing and they need to know what to produce and how much of it. And if they, you know, they can't wait. And when you buy out of China, keep in mind, when you're placing orders, you have a minimum of a 90 day production time. So if you place an order in February, you have March, April, and May before the product's ready. And then it takes a 30 days on the water to get here. Now you're into June or July you know, so the timing is important. You, you don't want to get Halloween product in the door on October 1st. Right. You, yeah. you want to have it, you know, in July or August so it's ready to go come October. Yeah. And so you ordered stuff uh, via Express Air. Do you find that that gets into Amazon's warehouses? Forget about the shipping time, but just the fact that it's Express Air versus it coming in on a boat um, and, and it need, needing to be actually scheduled with Amazon. Does it get in quicker for you? Or is it pretty much the same? No, it's the same. Um, you know, most of our stuff is shipped to Amazon in a container. Uh, and that that's a little bit of a time-consuming process. If it's something that's air-shipped in, for example, the Elena's that we got in on Monday, we just UPS grounded them, which is, it, you know, costs more money to ship it from China, costs more money to ship it from us to Amazon. But at the end of the day, you know, I need the product sold and I need it to Amazon. So we ship everything to Moreno Valley. We're here in Torrance, which is Los Angeles County. Moreno Valley is, is you know, hour and a half drive from here. So if I ship something on Monday, UPS Ground, it's in the Amazon warehouse by Tuesday. They have it up on the board for sale. It may say back ordered, but at least everyone knows we have it. And then it takes a couple of days for them to, to filter it out to all the other fulfillment centers. Okay. Do you have the stuff shipped directly to Amazon or do you bring it to a warehouse yourself? No, we have everything shipped directly to our warehouse. We touch everything. We make sure it's right. We make sure it's tagged, bagged. We make sure everything is ready to go. So when it leaves here, we know what we ship to Amazon. Right. The biggest problem you have is if there's an issue with Amazon, you need to be able to say to Amazon, no, this is what I shipped and this is how I shipped it. If I rely on a third party to ship it and there's a problem, I'm going to tell Amazon, I think that's how it was shipped. You know, it's like... <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Do you have an inspection process going on in China as well? Yeah, before they, they ship it. Very, very huge. You know, they inspect everything in China before it ever leaves. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the factory does. So you're not hiring a third party to, to go in and, and do everything? Most of your licensing companies, example, Disney, have their own companies that go in and, and check the quality. Uh, that's right. Yeah, the licensing part. That's what separates it. Um, how do you know what costume is going to be hot, Mike? I mean, you're ordering stuff in February. You just talked about like the Donald Trump thing. How do you know this is going to be the one? You know, a lot of it, honestly, is, is trial and error. A lot of it is guesswork. And some of it is just, you know, for me, to be honest with you, I have six kids. And for many, many years, I always listen to what they say, watch the, you know, what kind of cartoons are they watching? What kind of Pokemon games are they playing? And you would be amazed at how much information you can get by just listening to the kids. Yeah, I imagine for sure. So how many hours are you working each week now, would you say? And how does how is that different from when you first started selling uh, Amazon FBA? So, you know, when we first started, we I pretty much treated this as a Monday through Friday, eight to five job. Um, and that's how it's always been. Unfortunately, during the seasons, which right now is our season, you know, I get in here at 630 in the morning. And if I leave by nine, 10 o'clock at night, I'm lucky. Sometimes I'm in here till 11. And I'm doing that literally seven days a week right now. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where, and the family knows, you know, January through August, we can do whatever you want. We want family vacations. We want to go to Disneyland. Whatever you guys want to do, let's do it. But once September, you know, basically Labor Day till Christmas, they just understand and accept that this is the money-making period. And this is, you know, why we live in the house we live in and drive the cars we drive. And they accept it, you know. And to run this kind of business, you know, I can teach you everything I know about what I do. I can sit down and show it to you day by day for the next year. And once I let you go, you will do it completely different than I do. It's mm. just human nature. Okay. So, so you have to be here. I need to be here to understand how everything's running and how everything's working. Me leaving or not being here Things change. Things don't get done the same way I want them done. And it's just because everyone has their own way of doing things. So what are you outsourcing then? Um, and what are you actually making sure that only you do? I'm kind of, I like to make sure everything is, is done in-house. Um, and this is why years ago when I first started with Amazon FBA, it was very difficult for me to you know, release my product into somebody else's hands hoping that they were going to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we, I like to keep everything in house. You know, we do all our customer service here other than obviously FBA because we still sell on, on Amazon. I'm sorry. We sell on uh, eBay. We just started selling on Walmart. Uh, so we still have our own customer service here. We still touch all the products that go to Amazon. We still make sure everything is, is correct. Um, we make sure everything is bagged and tagged. We make sure everything is done here. How many people do you have working for you? So year round, we keep only about eight on staff. We have three in the office and five in the warehouse. Um, during the season, which is right now, that jumps up close to 20. Um, and, and that's just because we just need, obviously, more help dealing with the volume of product that comes through here. So the one thing that you will not let anybody else do, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. What would that be? The accounting, the books, the money. <laughs> <laughs> and only Mike touches that, huh? You know, there's just something about... And, and, you know, I mean, I'm sharing some information with you here, but, you know, most of the, you know, the employees see what goes on. They see how much product comes and goes and they, 
but nobody needs to see the actual bottom line nitty gritty of it all, you know? Um, and I like to control it because, you know, in this business, sometimes you take risks and sometimes you, you know, run yourself right to the edge. And I'm the only one that knows exactly what's going on and how it's supposed to play out. And if that something goes sideways, I need to know what I did and how I can fix it. When you leave it in somebody else's hands, if they make one decision different than what was in your mind, they could screw the entire thing up. Yeah, that's true. So if you're super crazy busy in Q4, um, what are you dedicating most of your time to in the slower months? What I mean, how do you deal with the off-season months? Enjoy my time off. <laughs> <laughs> your work hours drop too. So now you're. it sounds like you're doing like 60, 80-hour weeks. And so in the off time, it uh, drops to half a normal week? Yeah, I mean, in the off time, you know, it's a lot of research. It's a lot of what's hot, what's not, what's happening. You know, you're negotiating deals. You're, you're putting in purchase orders. You're, you know, you're cleaning up the mess from last year. Um, you know, so there's stuff to do January through August. But it's, you know, like 80% of our business is fourth quarter. So most of our stuff, you know, if I left here on, on a Tuesday at 3 o'clock and decided to go golfing for the day, nobody cares. Nothing, you know, nothing's going to blow up. You know, during fourth quarter, that's just never going to happen. You know, because right. the minute I get in my car to drive away, I'm already thinking of 10 things I should be doing right now. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to start selling in a, uh, a niche that's very seasonal like yours? You know, you just need to find something. First of all, you have to enjoy what you do. That, that, that's a big thing. If, you know, I like the costume and toy business. Um, I grew up in it. You know, uh, my dad actually had a costume store years ago. So I, I kind of understood the business. Um, so it was easy for me to get into. But whatever you get into, whether it's electronics, whether it's housewares, what, you know, whatever business you decide to get into, you have to love it. Because if you love it, it's not work. Okay, you, you, the making the money is, is a side effect of, of what you, loving what you do. If you wake up every morning and you say, I got to go to work today, I got to do that, then you're in the wrong business. Love it. Enjoy it. Don't just do it because, you know, it makes money. Do it because the money is a side effect of all this. I mean, you're talking about loving it and, and, and you know, doing a lot of research. How do you determine if a product is something that you actually want to sell? I mean, how do you actually go and vet it? A lot of times it's it's really simple research where, you know, run it on Amazon and see what, what the ratings are. And, 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 for example, you know, if I'm looking at a costume and it's not October, you know, if it's in the middle of May, so look at how the toys are selling. Look at how the, the, the TV cartoon's doing. Look at how the movie rated and stuff like that. That's going to tell you a lot about whether people are going to like it. If you, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, they did a... a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle second movie and the ratings were horrible on it. People didn't like it. And immediately I said, we're not buying toys for Christmas for Ninja Turtles because even though it did great two years ago, even though it did great three years ago, it just, it's not doing what it should be doing. So there's too many other properties that you can get into where you don't need to, to put your money into something that may or may not make it. But year round, you know, you can find ways of, figuring out what sells, even if it's not the particular season. For Like I said, it, costumes being a Halloween thing, find out how the cartoon's doing, the movie's doing, the toys are doing, find out what the kids do, the kids like it. You know, 
I literally sometimes, you know, my, 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 my own kids will bring their friends over and I'll say, Hey, you guys like PJ masks. And if they go, what the hell is PJ masks? Then you're like, okay. Or if they go, Oh yeah, you know, we watch that cartoon all the time, stuff like that. You know, you just keep your ears open 24 seven. If you're conscious about what you're doing, you'll get the data you need all the time. Tell us about a toy that failed for you and uh, what'd you do after it failed? So you're, you know, there's always bad buys. Um, right. And what happens is, is you expect the property to do well. Um, I'll use Cinderella, for example. So last year, you know, Disney was doing a remake of Cinderella and everyone was hyping it and everybody was, you know, and, you know, I bought a little more than I probably should have. And when the movie came out, it bombed and it didn't do what everyone expected it to do, which completely translates into the, the property itself. So come Halloween time, the sales were very slow on that item. That's when you do not fall in love with your product. Every costume that we sell for double retail. So if I have something that should sell for $30 and I'm selling it for 50 and it's a home run, every time I have a home run, I know there's going to be one that I'm going to lose my butt on. So what you have to do is you have to sell it, discount it. I don't care if you lose money on it. Get rid of it because having it sit in your warehouse collecting dust does absolutely no good. So if I have a two costumes, a Cinderella costume that sells for 30 and I have, let's say, a PJ Masks that sells for 30 but I'm selling the PJ Masks for 50 and I have to sell the Cinderella for 15 it equals itself out. At the end of the day, it's not about the one particular license. It's about the whole big picture. Do not fall in love with any of your products because the minute you say it's going to come back, it's going to sell, I'm going to make my money back, I'm, you might as well burn the merchandise right there. Interesting. So just dump it. Yeah. And, and move on. Move on. Outside of Halloween and Christmas, um, obviously you, you're going Q4 hard. Um, what other holidays would you say um, do really well? Uh, we do Valentine's Day. Um, a lot of Trotsky stuff for Valentine's Day and Easter. So obviously at Easter, you know, Easter bunnies are hot. So we sell a ton of Easter bunny costumes. But, you know, people, moms buy a lot of um, smaller priced items for Easter baskets and stuff. You're, you don't get the high ticket items like fourth quarter, but you get a lot of uh, smaller item stuff. And uh, you, usually if you can keep the, the price tag, you know, between 10 to $15, which as a rule, I try and stay away from stuff on Amazon that doesn't have a retail of at least $10 because by the time you're done, you really, there's no meat on the bone. But if you can find stuff in the 10 to $15 range, um, you know, 20 at the max, Valentine's Day and Easter are both very good holidays. Let's just say you have a good friend that comes to you and they say, Mike, you know what? I want to get into this Amazon business. You're crushing it. And they ask you how much money they're going to need. They've got credit cards. They've got whatever they got to do. How much money do they need and where where to spend it? What would you tell them? That's always a tough question. And I understand where the question comes from. But the bottom line is, is it really depends on how fast you want to grow. Uh, I've seen people that have taken $5,000 credit cards and, and they've done what they call retail arbitrage. You know, they go to Target or Walmart and they buy stuff and they turn around and resell on Amazon and they turn that 5000 into 10000 and, you know, they just work it like that. And they're not really taking a paycheck. They're building a business more than anything. 
And, you know, that's a slow way to do it. But, you know, if you're willing to, to work it, you know, you can definitely do it that way. Um, if you want to jump in with both feet and you really want to go gung ho, you know, at minimum 50,000, you know, a, a good start, maybe a hundred thousand, but be careful what you, you know, when you're starting off, be careful what you invest your money into, because if you're starting off even with a hundred thousand dollars and if you take a $5,000 hit on a product, that's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. You know, when you're doing $20 million and you take a $5,000 hit, it's a bump on the road and you just keep moving on. Okay. Are you uh, planning to expand out beyond costumes and toys? Uh, believe it or not. So we've exceeded our capacity in our warehouse here. And so we're in negotiations for a new building as of January 1st, uh, right after the fourth quarter, which will be more than double the size of what we're in now. And one, one of the things my wife always jokes about is every time I get a bigger building, you know, my brain's always trying to figure out how to fill it up. <laughs> and yeah. so the, the thing is, 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 you know, I've always, you know, I constantly look at what else to, to carry because on Amazon, it's not about, you know, you can pretty much sell anything. I've looked at the electronic industry and, and the margins are just too tiny and the, the price tags are too high and the technology outdates itself too fast. So I don't, but one of the industries I've, I'm seriously looking into, believe it or not, right now is housewares, uh, kitchen goods, you know, uh, toasters, blenders, stuff like that. And um, it's it's actually, uh, it's a very, from what I see, a very good industry. And it's kind of got the same cycle where the stuff sells year round, but fourth quarter, people just tend to dump a ton of money into that stuff. Let's not use you as an example because you're an eight-figure seller, but you've got somebody that is doing well now, right? They've taken their their five thousand, ten thousand dollars, and they've multiplied it uh, multiple times now. And they want to expand aggressively, but they just don't have the finances to do it. What recommendations or advice would you have to people to to raise this capital? Because that's one of the biggest things that we hear um, here on the podcast is people struggling with cash flow issues. Yeah, that that's and you know to be quite honest with you, and this is something that maybe will make some people feel better. Even when you're in the eight-figure sales, you still have cash flow issues. They're just a lot bigger. <laughs> it's it's never-ending, right? Yeah, it's never-ending. <laughs> and, and the idea is because you always buy to your budget. You know, if, if you got a job and you were making $2,000 a month, your lifestyle will be equivalent to $2,000 a month. Now, if a year from now you're making $4,000 a month, all you're going to do is buy more stuff, get a bigger house, get a bigger car, whatever it is, but you will live a $4,000 a month lifestyle. We as people just tend to, you know, live either within or, or just over our means. So whether you have 5,000 or 5 million as your budget, you're, you know, you still have the same cash flow problems. To answer your question about financing, if you can hit the one-year mark, obviously I, I can give you a ton of different ways. You know, there's Cabbage out there, Lending Club, um, you know, there, there's places to find money and, and some of it's not cheap, but you know, it, it's there. If you're less than a year in business or just starting out, to be honest with you, you either need to use credit cards or friends and family and borrow money. Um, it's very difficult for anybody to lend anybody money or to offer any kind of financing. If you haven't been in business one year, especially if you tell them you're going to sell on Amazon, the number of people that say, I'm going to sell on Amazon, I'm going to do this as my full-time job. 
that don't make it past year one is enormous. And because of that number, everyone's afraid. So it's kind of like you have to get your feet wet and you have to prove yourself the first year and you have to struggle. And if you can make it past that year, that's when the doors open up to, to, to other op options. But before that, it's really personal credit cards and friends and family. Yeah, that's kind of what I expected. It's uh, one year. That one year mark is getting up to that point is the difficult point. Um, and then Amazon, actually Amazon opens up after a year and offers financing as well. Correct. So, um, here's something I've been very curious about. If during the, the holidays, are you able to increase your pricing on your products or, or do you find that you're actually priced down because of all the competition that's coming in? We actually do very well with pricing. Now we use a repricer and I'm not trying to plug any specific company. However, the repricer we use is very good at driving prices up rather than down. And we historically find that the closer we get to Halloween and the closer we get to Christmas, our prices get driven up because the demand is higher and people aren't wanting to shop. So, you know, if you buy a costume, <clears throat> the first week of October generally is when you're going to get your best deal. And the reason is because there's a lot of inventory. Everyone's just received their shipments and they want to sell. So they're willing to sell it at a small margin. The closer it gets to Halloween, the inventory starts to dry up. Once that inventory dries up, the people that are left are going to ask more money for it. And if you're one of those people that wait to the last minute, you're generally going to pay an arm and a leg if, this, if that item is popular at all. Now, if it's not a popular item, then the price is, yeah, they're going to decline because people are going to want to dump it and they're going to want to recoup their money. But for the most part, if you can buy the right products and you have a repricer because there's no possible way that you could reprice it yourself with, you know, 6,000 SKUs, that would just take too much time. But if you have an automated repricer, it will drive the prices up for you the closer it gets to the holiday. Okay. What repricer do you use? I use Feedvisor. Okay. And have you ever had your account suspended? Knock on wood, I have never had my Amazon account suspended. Any products suspended or blocked? I do get products suspended or blocked. Um, you know, and sometimes it's it could be because the people just complain the wrong way and Amazon takes it the wrong way. Sometimes it's because maybe the, the item is, you know, cut a little smaller than normal. So <clears throat> generally, when you have a, an item blocked, I have to look at it and determine whether or not it's worth fighting for. If it's an item that just sells okay, I just let it go. Just don't buy any more and move on. If it's a really good selling item, and I've had some really good selling items blocked and it just kills me, then I go back and I, I fight. You know, and I, I, I open up a case with Amazon. What's wrong? What did I do? You know, I do a plan of action. Um, I find out why it got suspended. Look through the returns. Look through the comments. You know, the key with Amazon when an item gets suspended or blocked is, they want to know that you know what happened. And the problem is, is they're not going to tell you. They're not going to say, hey, Mike, um, you know, we're blocking this product because John over here complained that it, it uh, came without a, an accessory. What they're going to do is they're going to block the product and say, you figure it out. Yeah, I and, hate that. You know, <laughs> and then it's your job to figure out what happened, why it happened, and how you can fix it. If you can prove to Amazon that the issue will not continue, they'll unblock it for you and you can continue selling it. If you get upset and send a nasty email saying, what are you talking about? This is absurd. I can't believe you blocked this. Well, you've just buried yourself six feet deep. 
No, you're absolutely right. So, well, this has been fantastic. I want to end this with one final question here, Mike. No problem. Knowing what you know right now, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself when you first started out? You know, if I could go back and, and just change one thing, honestly, I, I would have been a little more aggressive in the beginning with Amazon and FBA. Uh, I think I was a little too cautious and that was my own doing because I was afraid of leaving it in somebody else's hands. Um, so I took it a little slower. I've, I've come to learn, and, and, and here's something I, I'm going to throw out to these guys that, that uh, sell on Amazon. Don't sweat the little stuff. You know, when you're doing six figures and Amazon sends you back a costume that, that's been worn and trashed and, and is basically garbage, and they gave the people a 100% refund, don't think about the 30 bucks you just lost. Think about the $3,000 you just made. Because if you worry about the little stuff, it's going to eat you alive. And you will continually hold yourself back. Every time I get really pissed off about something that Amazon does or says, all I do is open up my little payment thing. I look at that number. I sit back, smile, and say, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It, it brings a smile. Okay. It brings a smile. And trust me, to this day, there's things Amazon does that just absolutely kills me. I can't. I, it's like I go, why? Why would they do this? But they are, Amazon is who they are, and they've obviously got a system that works. And right, wrong, or indifferent, whether you agree or disagree, it's their playing field. And if you want to play their game, you have to follow their rules. And, and I will say that I was hesitant for the longest time, and I think I held myself back because I would get so upset at so many of the things that Amazon would do. And I say, this isn't right. This isn't going to work. And, and I'll tell you, I, if I... There was a point where I was talking to somebody about Amazon. We were just going back and forth over over a few drinks, and I kept complaining about this. And the guy said, well, then stop selling on Amazon. And I said, well, that's not an option because I make too much money. And he said, well, then stop bitching about selling on Amazon. <laughs> and then I, you know, and, and honestly, that it sat with me for a minute, and I realized. So I said, okay, for the next 30 days, I'm going to take a deep breath. And every time something really irritates me that Amazon does, every time I get an email that just grabs me by the goat, instead of getting upset, I'm just going to take a deep breath and say, it's okay. And I got to tell you, once you actually get that mindset in your head, you will accelerate so much faster because you won't be holding yourself back. That's a great point of view. Great advice. How do people get in touch if they want to know more? Uh, or actually, here, let me, Yeah, I don't want you to give out your email because you're going to you're going to get blasted. We have so many people listening to the podcast. Um, you're in our FBA high rollers group. Would it be okay if they reach out to you there? No, that'd be great. Okay, perfect. I, I know that uh, as you're probably the largest seller I've interviewed, so uh, people will probably have a lot of questions and, you're, and it's very inspirational. No problem. Look forward to it. Mike Ward, guys, a 10 million plus. Sorry, no. What was the number for this year? This year we'll hit, we should hit just under 20 million. A $20 million per year seller in seasonal products. He shows you what you can do when you do things intelligently. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to the AM PM podcast hosted by Manny Coates. For more information, insider, insider tools, tools, and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit ampmpodcast.com.